0: Blog TALK RADIO
1: Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Finsider Radio, Thursday night. Hello everyone, my name is Keith. Uh... I'm going to be your host for about the next, we're only going to do about 45 minutes tonight. It's uh, pretty downtime in the uh, NFL offseason. Not really a lot to talk about. If you tuned in last week, we spent probably about half the show talking about non-football things, which I'm okay with. I don't think the listeners are uh, as okay with it as I am. So uh, we'll see what we can get through tonight and uh, see what uh, kind of interesting discussions we can come up with. Uh, as always, my uh, good friend and co-host, Duke. Hi, Duke. How are you? I'm um, all right, man. How are you? Good. Is it hot there? Hey, it's warm, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's incredibly humid up here in the Chicago land area right now. I think yeah, the, the term I usually go with is uh, ugly hot. It's awful outside.
0: Yeah, it's been in the mid... Mid 90s and very humid here, so uh, just you know, it's it's August weather, uh, a little early. You Normally, know, it's like this later in the summer, and then coming coming in, uh, in the end of June is a little much. But um, hopefully, you know, so, so hopefully, there'll be a little cool snack in a little bit. Uh, I'm not a fan of the hot weather anyway. Uh, I'm I'm much more a cold weather person, so uh, I'm I'm not a fan of this at all. But it's whatever. I have no control. I'm
1: sure. I'm sure our listeners in uh, South Florida are listening to this and thinking we're complete, we're complete wimps, uh, talking about this right now, because I, I don't know. You still have never been to the state of Florida, have you?
0: oh uh, well, Me? Oh, I've been to Florida. Yeah, I've never been to Miami.
1: Oh, okay. I, I
0: couldn't remember. Yeah. So we, well, my wife and I got married. We uh, we went on a uh, Cruise to the Caribbean, and we left from Fort Canaveral and we stayed. Uh, we drove down that evening and stayed the night in uh, Saint Augustine. And I remember it was after <laughs> it was three in the morning or so when we pulled up to the hotel there in Saint Augustine. I got out, and it was, it you know, it, it was still very hot and very humid. And uh, it, it, I mean, it's been years since I've been to Florida, so uh, I, I, I remember thinking, yeah, this is what all those uh, while well, the football players are talking about that it. it's this hot at three in the morning it's you know it's gotta be even worse. But uh, you know it, it it's you know, you know, the people down there are used to it. Uh then again, you know, I've, I've read tweets from from, from, from some beat riders when it's cool in Miami when it's in the sixties uh, or something and they're like, Oh, it's kinda you know, it's, it's cooler than what I'm used to and I'm like, you know, uh, at Appalachian states, you know, it'd be fifty degrees and it would be people out sunbathing. So, you know, we're <laughs> it's it's one way or the other. I'm used to the cold weather, so I don't I don't mind that as much. I can deal with that a little bit. I think
1: I'm kind of in the middle at this point. I used to really really enjoy the hot and humid weather. Uh, I, I find it. Uh, the older I get, I'm in my early thirties now. Uh, I don't have quite the uh, um. Uh, I'm trying to think of the word I, I usually use when I when I talk about stuff like this, but I, I just don't really enjoy uh, the heat anymore. When it's uh, it's gotten up in the 90s recently here this this year and uh, last year was pretty hot in the summertime, and it's just uh, I don't really have the uh, the tolerance for it. That uh, yeah, I, it, I uh, think let's
0: walk inside. It's uh, uh,
1: it's kind of midday.
0: What I would consider this would be nice weather if it, if, if it were you know. Twelve one o'clock. This is not eight thirty. Hot weather to me, but it's not bad. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's, it's one thing though. But I have to wear I have to wear a dress shirt and, and pants to work, so I don't I don't have to uh, I don't get the option of short sleeves or anything. So that always makes it a little a little warmer. If I was able to go out in shorts and a t-shirt, I, I you know I wouldn't worry about it too much
1: we're uh we're chatting for about the next forty minutes or so if you wanna go ahead and give us a call in the in the studio three four seven three two six nine four six one uh we'll talk about whatever it is on your mind, but one thing I wanna uh briefly move on to one of the the few football things we do have going on right now uh I didn't watch the episode last night, but it was a topic we had last week, and it continues to this week that uh Sue uh apparently was on last night. NFL Top 100 Players of 2015 episode, which means that he would be, I think he's in the 20s then, because week was in the 30s.
0: I think he's so, 24,
1: if I, right, right? Yeah, I, I didn't, I just uh, glanced at it uh, while I was at work and this morning. So it's interesting that that comes up at a time where uh, since Sue has been in camp, you're starting to see more and more people. I mean, you've seen the reaction of the people who are lined up against him every day you're seeing the people who are playing uh with him and against him and it's a unanimous uh feeling of this guy is a complete monster which we all suspected i mean that's why he got the insane contract uh last march and he comes into he comes into uh to south florida now and people are seeing why he's making that kind of money I mean, it's great in that it builds up all this anticipation as we get closer to the season. But, I mean, this isn't just a big addition to the interior of Miami's defense. You could make the case that the Dolphins couldn't have gone any bigger with this addition. This is freakish stuff that you have in the middle now in Miami, and it's versatile too. So I I just have this excitement going forward as, I mean, we're – almost in July now, and then we're going to move on to August, and you're going to see preseason and everything, and I don't know how much you'll see from him in preseason. I mean, he plays hard all the time, but it's just really exciting to think that as his defense has continued to build itself up over the past few years, it took a step back last year, especially against the run, but it's just incredibly exciting to think about in a couple of months what, what we could see on the field with this guy leading the charge on defense. Yeah, and... uh
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, sometimes it, it's just, it doesn't sink in, I guess, and it probably won't until I see him play. Will be, you know, that every so often I'll be perusing something on the internet and I'll, I'll run across, like, for example, they did the uh, NFL.com had uh, the All AFC East uh, team this week from Dave Damashek. And you see a picture of Indominus Su on there and you're like, wait a minute. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. He plays for the freaking Dolphins. and it just kind of hits you all of a sudden, like, yeah, we've got that guy. He's on our team now. Uh, you know, you still kind of get that. you see these pictures of training camp or whatever, and you, and you see him and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's that's real. I didn't just dream that happening, um, you know, and it's gonna be amazing to see how they use him. uh I mean Poyle has talked about kinda of, you know cutting down on the defense a little bit, making it a little simpler, uh. You know, I, I think you could get kind of creative with some of the fronts, but I can see what he's talking about. He's pretty much just going to line Wake and Sue and Mitchell and Vernon up and just say, you know, uh, you know, he's throwing Chris McCain there. I think the last camp reports, he was getting some looks at defensive in end, too. They're basically just going to say, this, we're bringing this at you. You can do what you can to stop it. Uh, and you know guys like Missy and, and, and Jelana Jenkins are loving it because they're, you know, they're going to end up racking up a bunch of tackles, and and they're they're not going to have to sift through the trash as much, uh, because especially if if a guy like Jordan Phillips comes along and develops, because he's going to be, uh, you know, that big big body, and you add Sue in there, I mean, they're just going to have clean runs at everybody. Or if not, then they are going to be, you know, seven guys in the line of scrimmage blocking or something, and that'll be, you know, it's going to be fun to watch.
1: Oh, yeah. there's. I know there's a lot of people out there who who didn't necessarily approve of the Jordan Phillips selection in the second round. Uh, I was going to say last April, but technically that pick was made on the 1st of May. Uh, if he becomes anywhere near the defensive player that the Dolphins expect him to develop into, and he's playing alongside Adamic and Sioux, that's scary stuff. That's something where you can pretty much forget about running... Or running uh, down the middle against these guys, that's just not going to happen. Because it, it's really weird that you you see a lot of these these clogger type bodies. I mean, for I mean, where where is he right now in terms of weight? Is he three hundred and thirty some. I know he's close to three forty.
0: Yeah, I think at one point they three, three, 30, thirty six or something like that.
1: Yeah, something just eh, completely over the top. But he's not like the typical clogger body because a lot of those guys really. I mean, if they're six one, 6'1", six five—I six, uh, mean, I mean a tall guy, but not enormous—and carrying just a huge amount of weight on his frame. This guy is what six five, almost six six. Yeah, and and he's just got an unbelievable frame on him. So I mean, that's a little bit different than your usual clogger, your usual uh, zero slash one tech that we see come through the league more often than not. So I mean, that's it's yeah, interesting and- to see how that how that gels together. And go ahead.
0: That makes me think of, uh, how, how big was Kendall Lankford? I know
1: he was about, he was what, six, six? He was six, I don't six, know what his six. weight was. Kendall Lankford was only about three. I'm going off memory here. I want to say he was something like three hundred and three hundred and three, 303,
0: somewhere around there. I what going say, he was about the same height. I know he, he was kind of a big dude. And I remember you and I, Talked about that, or it was back on the site a few years ago, uh, talking about how we, you kind of like the the, the bigger, kind of more hulking defensive tackles, and uh, so I mean, and, and you look at that front line. Really, the weakness on the front line in terms of run defense is Cam Wake. I mean, he's not a great run defender, but he's not bad. Uh, but that's who they don't have to run at. I mean, I mean, you, you throw you throw uh, especially with Phillips in there, and you even have Mosley. Some of those guys, you throw those guys in there, I mean, you're going to have to run it to the right side. Or the offense it. to the right side. You're just, you're just not going to run to the left because Vernon's a pretty good run defender. And he, he's going to shed that block. He's going to get off there. Uh, and, and because there's not going to be, because it's, it's going to be, it's difficult to envision that the guards really getting to the second level against that kind of defensive front, it's going to be, uh, you know, the, the linebacker's going to be there to clean up the rest of it.
1: I love watching Vernon make tackles because he's almost got like that huge span whenever he goes in to wrap guys up and it just like, his arms look like they go on forever. So it's always a lot of fun to watch him uh make tackles and it was something you brought up. It's funny that you're almost funneling players toward Cameron Wake at times. I mean they have no choice but to do that. So I mean you could certainly do worse in terms of the in terms of the defensive scheme. It's funny it works out that way. It's just it's really exciting to to think about guys. Like I keep using that term exciting, but I mean like I just I can't wait to see these guys actually get on the field. And something you brought up about Sue is that it really hasn't set in for me either that this guy is in South Florida now, that this guy is going to wear a Dolphins uniform this season. That probably, probably won't set it. It probably won't even set it in, in the preseason. It's probably going to make sense to me when the season opens and he's out there, and you think like, oh yeah, there it is. That, that's what we spent a lot of money uh, on last March, and we're about to reap the benefits. So yeah, just,
0: and the guy that I think is really going to benefit a lot from this, uh, the guy who, well, the guy who's going to benefit. Let me finish my thought. is Chris McCain. Um He's going to be that. He's going to fill that Phillip Wheeler role of strong side blitzing linebacker. Except where Wheeler was having to get blocked a lot, we, McCain is not going to. Now, unfortunately, that would have been beyond Jordan's role. And you know, a lot of people—he he doesn't have the numbers. But if you look at statistical stuff like uh, pressures, pressures per snap, and stuff like that, he's not bad at generating pressure.
1: A little bit. He dude. gets
0: there. Now he's—he's not—he's um, not a. Uh, he doesn't have a wide variety of pass rushing moves. It, just, it was kind of like when we drafted Koamisi and, and they put him back there and you'd watch him come off the edge in that linebacker role, and the uh, rushing linebacker role, and I was like, dude, you can at least try a, a swim move or a rip move or something, a spin, do something. It was like a bull rush. And that was kind of the same thing with Jordan. But you know, his time in Miami is probably up. But if McCain can turn into that same kind of role, he's going to really—he's going to feast. Uh, he's going to feast coming off, off of that edge as a linebacker, as a stand-up, because he's going to be coming over somebody, whether it's Wake's side or Vernon's side, and they're going to have to decide which one of these guys am I going, going to block. And so that's what—that's the guy I think is going to. You know, everybody talks about Wake, but he's going to get his regardless. You know, Mitchell or whoever else, even Vernon, but. I think McCain's has got to watch out for. I think he can elevate himself from undrafted fan favorite to potential superstar playing behind uh with Indominus uh taking up all the slack over there.
1: Not to play hindsight, but if you could do it again and you're you're the Dolphins GM in two thousand thirteen, would you even trade up to the number three pick? No. You just let it rise at uh I think they had the twelfth. I, I was taking. Uh, well, I know you and I. We talked a lot about
0: it, and we were kind of set on. we were in, a, that in the agreement we going to take I, But uh, we kind of figured that was who the pick was going to be. But if I had if I'd been in the gym and had and had my way, it would have been Desmond Trufant.
1: Yeah, and, we were uh, in agreement on that too. I think.
0: And you know, looking at the way the board fell. I can already tell you. I can tell you my three picks that, that would have that the first three picks it would have happened. In fact, I could have told you the next four picks. It would have been Trufant. It would have been Gavin Escobar. It would have been Jamar Taylor, and then it would have been uh, Marcus. Uh, what was it? Uh, Marcus Wheaton. That would have been my. That would have been my. Uh, uh, my, my first four picks in that draft. i
1: was a That's, not, that's not looking. That's not
0: looking at hindsight uh that's not looking at hindsight. I mean you know we did several posts to different Those were guys that you and I legitimately both talked about that we wanted on the team and they were available with the Dolphins picks at each spot. Um
1: so yeah that that would have been that would have been my picks. I liked Gavin Escobar a lot. I'd even make the case that I probably liked Escobar more than Eifert, I think. I mean Tyler Eifert was an awesome prospect in that draft. And I think I know he's he's uh, had some injury problems. I think he's gonna end up being a really good pass catcher for uh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Just depends on who can get him to the ball get him the ball. And I don't mean that as a low blow or anything. Uh I, yeah, I really liked Escobar. You and I were definitely in agreement about Desmond Truffaut. I think that – because he went to the the combine and he ran like what, like a fourth was it four three nine? So it was It was some high school it was school. something yeah yeah, it was, in fact, I remember exactly
0: where I was I was in a uh I was in a class I was having to take to work, and uh we were on a break, and I looked down on my phone and saw that time, and I remember texting you I was like this, this that just happened,
1: <laughs> yeah, I was shoveling snow, we got a huge blizzard that day because that was that uh uh the last day of the combine, I remember that. Uh, Marcus Wheaton, I was a huge fan of uh, when he came out of Oregon State, and one of the things I liked most about him is I thought that there was a, a Mike Wallace component to him, without all the bad stuff. And I'm, I'm not saying that he's as good of a receiver uh, or as fast, even though that I know he was on the track team at Oregon State, and he I think he was he was second in uh, whatever national thing he ran in. So I mean, like he had he beat uh uh, yeah, the Anthony Thomas. Yeah, uh, th- Those guys both ran track. Sorry, I was like, it's the, we got the, you know, it's summer and we've got the off season. So I've got some serious cobwebs going on in terms of names. So it, it takes me a second to work through on some of these guys. But yeah, he so he outran the Black Mamba, who was uh, incredibly fast. So I remember seeing that and I was like, well, I already like his, his ball skills. I mean, you and I watch tape of the stuff he did his last year at Oregon State. I think we both really liked him. And there was just, like, the way he was able to stretch the field, I thought he had considerably better hands than Mike Wallace. I just thought that instead of giving Mike Wallace all this money, I understand that you want the proven commodity, but if we don't do that, at the time, I remember we said, well, we could draft this guy. And, I mean, it, he's looked pretty good in Pittsburgh. I mean, like I, obviously, you've got uh, Antonio Brown. Uh, doing doing the lion's share of the 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 pass catching out there, but I really like Marcus Wheaton, and I think that uh, we would have done well to get him in Miami. Although that is total hindsight to think like, oh, what would have been?
0: Uh, well, I I yeah, I mean it. that's that's just looking at kind of how the board board went, you know, based on the picks that we like. So I mean, it actually fell in our our favor, um, you know, our GM stuff. I mean, but. You know, I re- I remember reading about Jelani Jenkins, but I probably drafted him. Um, and, you uh, know, of course, we've got Gavin Escobar, so I don't think we've gone for Deion Sims. So, I mean, you know, that, that would have been maybe a couple misses there. But looking at it kind of now, Miami has kind of rectified the situation. They they took the receiver they probably should have taken in 2013 with Greg Jennings, and now he's on the team. And they got the speedster that they could have drafted in Guinea So you know, Peaky bombs doing more.
1: Yeah, it's funny how uh, the situation has uh, righted itself in a lot of ways. I, I was definitely a Jennings guy in the the 2013 free agency, not because I mean I don't know. I just, I speed receivers are nice, but I just wanted to get someone who could really link up with Ryan Tannehill at that point. Someone who's going to, you know, who's going to run the precise routes every time. The guy who's got the proven hands. Uh, can do work in the red zone if you need him uh, fast enough. Not not a burner by any stretch, but definitely a decent wheels for So, I mean, he's definitely the guy I wanted. Uh, yeah, nice and i Yeah, you, you win that one because I was definitely on the Wallace
0: trains. And... Uh, You know, I'll be fair. I'm not a big fan of Wallace now, and I was at the time of the signing. And looking back, it's easy to see now that he and Tim Hill just wasn't a good fit. And I I put this on a post a while back, and I'll I'll see if I can remember the tweet. But someone, I can't remember, it was at QB Classen or whatever his name is, um, he said, Mike Wallace is a is I'll be open, hit me receiver, and Tannehill is a I'll throw it, you go find it, quarterback. Kinda of shows kind of what they've done this offseason. season. They've gone and got these receivers like Steels, Parker, who can track the ball well and will kinda of, when they get deep will be able to make plays on passes that aren't one hundred percent accurate. Whereas Wallace is a guy that needs a one hundred percent accurate passer. If, if, uh, to me, you look at a guy like say uh, Russell Wilson, who I think's got a not, a pretty deep ball, um, fairly accurate, he's a guy that Mike, Mike Wallace would have success with. I mean, Mike Wallace would probably eat up there. You put Mike Wallace on, uh, you know, of course anybody that plays Green Bay is going to do well, but but you put say put Mike Wallace on the end. you know, Tom Brady's not not that great a deep ball anymore. And so I think you 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 wouldn't see you'd see some of the same issues. Uh maybe not as much because, you know, Tom Brady's gonna get the benefit of the doubt. But you know, I watched several of his passes this year, deep passes that just looks bad all the way around. And I think you'd have been one of those cases where, you know, in that case Wallace would have taken all the blame because it's Tom Brady, but it, it was some of the same thing emerging so uh, I, I don't know that much about uh, Teddy Bridgewater. I, I remember, you know, watching him when he played the Dolphins, and I thought he was – I liked what I saw then. him. You know, I thought he was a very good quarterback, made some great passes. I don't know how his deep pass is. And, you know, if he has good – you know, if he can throw those accurate deep passes, I mean, Wallace, Wallace is going to have some success up there. So, you know, I think oftentimes on the side, at least from some some people I've talked to, it becomes, becomes, becomes kind of this uh, – this uh I hate Wallace or I'm I'm a big fan of Wallace kind of sides and that's not really where I stand. I mean Wallace is who he is. He's had success but he just wasn't a good fit. And so you were right, Jimmy's was just a good call and I messed that one up. But we both would have made up for it with with steels and or Wheaton so you know, it's good now.
1: Well that's why Wallace uh his time in Minnesota is going to be an interesting one because a lot of the stuff that he got away with in terms of behavior on field in Miami isn't going to fly with Mike Zimmer in Minnesota. All of Wallace's crap about putting it on the on the quarterback, that's not going to happen. Mike Zimmer will nip that in the bud post-taste. So it's going to be interesting to see how that dyna- dynamic plays out. And, I mean, maybe it's not an issue. Maybe Teddy Bridgewater just connects with him right off the bat, and it's just not a problem. Uh, I, and he, I think I have not have a Turner, runner up kind of there. Like,
0: pardon? So you have more Turner up there. He's going to run more of a vertical offense. which just going to fit Wallace. I mean, let's face it. I mean, I mean, I like, you know, everybody loves Landry, and he's pretty he's a shifty guy, but none of these receivers that Miami had last year could run a wide receiver screen. I mean, Wallace is a straight-line guy. Hartline was Straight line guy. Gibson had a little bit of whiff, but you know these guys didn't have a lot of shiftiness. And in my opinion, to to run a horizontal style offense, you need to be able to catch the ball in space and make people miss. Uh, that was no no one on this team aside from from Parker had that ability. You look at the guys they have now, and I've not watched a lot of tape of Steals in New Orleans, but I have seen some some uh, gifts of, of of him running some of the screens. And, you know, we all know what Devontae Parker brings to the table. It looks like Miami finally has some of these guys that can take this five-yard pass and get 15 out of it, as opposed to, I think, one one tweet I saw about Heartline said, when you need six yards, Heartline will get them six yards. When you need 16 yards, Heartline will get them six yards. So that's kind of where we are now. We've got guys that can take the short stuff and make something happen as opposed to
1: needing everything to be to be over the top all the time. Well, at the risk of sounding like a Tannehill apologist, when it comes to what happened between Tannehill and Mike Wallace and the lack of connection on the deep ball and all of that crap that people have played up uh, over the past couple of years and still are, even though Wallace is not no longer on the team, I place, I think, a lot of culpability should go in Mike Wallace's direction. And here's why. Because he was paired with a young quarterback and I thought this was going to be a problem and I mean I not to say I, I told you so to everyone, but I, I feel this is you you set up a situation where it should always be when the quarterback throws the ball, the receiver thinks, he's throwing me the ball, I need to do what I can to to go and get it. He's trusting me to go get that ball. Instead you had a dynamic where you had Tannehill throwing the ball, and he's thinking, I'm throwing the ball to Mike Wallace. I better make a perfect pass here. So you've got the quarterback worrying about the, what the receiver's thinking when it should be the other way around. It should be the receiver worrying about what the quarterback's thinking. So that connection was, in my opinion, doomed from the start. As soon as I saw that dynamic played out, and as soon as that first game in Cleveland, where after the game Mike Wallace threw that tantrum about Phil not getting the not getting him the ball enough, I knew it was going to be an issue. Because you've got a young quarterback. You can't do that to a young quarterback. You've got to establish an environment and atmosphere where it's his show, it's up to his receivers to maximize their potential and do what they can when the ball's thrown to them, not the other way around. When you have all these receivers out there and you have the quarterback worried about getting them the ball, do you think Joe Montana ever threw the ball and thought, I better make a perfect pass here to Joe, Jerry Rice, or he's going to be really upset with me. I just I better throw the ball uh, right on the money to John Taylor, or he's just going to be absolutely beside himself with me. Hell no, that was never the case. Good teams, yeah, that is not just, the case.
0: And it's just so weird to to think about it like that. But I mean, I, I perfectly agree with you. That's that that's that was an issue. It's where it always seemed like that when Tannehill was throwing to everyone else, he wasn't thinking about it. He was just playing. And anybody that's played sports, you know, knows there's there's a a part of it where you're just, you're playing for instinct. I mean, when you shoot a basketball, you're not thinking about, all right, the ball needs to rotate a certain way, my elbow needs to be here. You know, things like, it just eventually, it, it's just an automatic physical response. You just do it. And I think that's, Part of the issue with Tannehill, number one, playing as as not having all the college experience at the quarterback position, he's kind of filling into that role in the pros. And then you add in the fact that when he gets up there and he he the play that gets run is Mike Wallace on the deep pass, and he's got to think about uh, I need to place the ball right here. You're already you're already putting yourself behind the eight ball by doing that because you don't want to think about it you just need to throw it and and you're right when you have a young quarterback playing with a highly paid receiver it's always going to go in the money's favor i mean he you've got to force the ball to the money because you know you don't pay mike wallace to catch 50 you know twelve million dollars a year to catch 50 passes a year so you know you have to kind of force the ball to him, and, and you know they they did that they said all right you know we're not going to try to force this deep issue. We're going to go. You know, throw comebacks, throw screens. We're going to throw these slants and things. You can. That's what you're going to what you're going to deal with. And to Mike Wallace's credit, he he did that. I mean, yeah, he wanted more big plays, and he said that, but he he went along with the game plan, and he you know he did well statistically, caught ten touchdowns. Um, so yeah, I I, I like what the Dolphins have done now by bringing in younger guys. Number one, you've got Greg Jennings in there, who, who by most accounts, uh, I think the article came out this week where, you know, Tannenbaum uh, called him and kind of sold him on the Dolphins, and he told he said, you know, I, to be a, I want to be a leader. I want to show them I'm a man of God, a man of faith. I want to show them I'm, you know, uh, a, a, a constant professional, stuff like that. You, you, that's what you heard from him. And so you, you add that presence in with these young guys who these young guys now and with Tanhill's, money, it's it's his team. You know, you never really – I mean, it would have been, to me, strange in a sense to see Tanhill go up to Wallace after he, he failed on a path and get up in his face, you know, and, and, and you know, yell at him or whatever it is he's going to do. You, that just didn't, you know, you just, I didn't think that was something that you'd see happening, not because Tannehill's not a leader, but just because, you know, it's – that's just the way it is. Maybe he didn't feel comfortable around Wallace enough to do that. Who knows? But I think now you've got to where if Devontae Parker misses up something, yeah, he's a first-round pick. Hill's going to get up in his face, but listen, this is what you need to do. And and I think you, you're seeing a night and day difference in, in many camps so far. It, you know you hear all about chemistry, and I think as our buddy Oscar put it, it's not chemistry. It's just both both sides executing well. Um you know, Tannehill throws more touch. Tannehill, I think he's just comfortable now. He, he knows he's the man. His his receivers understand that he's he's the one in charge now. And it just seems to be working out better.
1: Well, yeah, it should be his need. I mean, on rambling too much. Oh, no, no, no that's fine. I, I was just going to say that you're seeing receivers in there now. Like, I mean, look at Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry couldn't be any more of the antithesis to Mike Wallace. When you throw Jarvis Landry the ball, his attitude is, what can I do for my quarterback to haul in this reception? What do I need to do to com- to make sure that this is a completion? You need that that sort of wide receiver core that buys in. And now you bring in Devontae Parker, who is like, I, I refer to guys like him as a, a mistake eraser. You don't even have to throw him a good ball. And chances are he's still going to make you look good, which is kind of a scary thought. I mean, you want to talk about blurring the lines, and I know all the smart-ass Dolphins fans will be like, well, that'll work out with Tannehill perfectly. Yeah, you can go ahead and you can put that narrative out there if you want. That's fine. But all I'm saying is that you've got a franchise quarterback, and he deserves to be looked at as a franchise quarterback. And the fact he doesn't get as much respect, completely beyond me. I mean, obviously it's something where it's not going to die down until he has him in the playoffs, competing in the playoffs, competing for a Super Bowl berth. And then I'm sure you're still going to have people out there thinking, like, oh, we could do better. Let's draft one. We should have drafted Marcus Mariota or something like that. So, I mean, it's it's going to take a long time for everyone to buy in. I'm sure. I don't know why, but that's just the nature of the situation, and I've come to accept it, believe it or not, even though I'm completely ranting about it right now. But I like what they did. They brought in these pass catchers. They brought in Jordan Cameron. You bring in Devontae Parker. You bring in Greg Jennings, who is just a, a complete technician at the position. I mean, we've already talked about by no means a speed demon, but in terms of clinical route running, you won't find many guys in NFL who are better at it. So you're bringing, now you've got these guys who are going to buy in. Now you've got Greg Jennings talking about how he wants to be a leader. Go ahead. He should be mentoring guys like Devontae Parker. I mean, that part of it is, Awesome to think that this is this is what we have going forward. Yeah,
0: there's a. I was watching a, a video from the the uh, Dolphins website or from their app, and uh, it was Greg Likens was interviewing Jarvis Landry, and they were showing some highlights from training camp, and, and they were talking about Tannehill throwing to his receivers stuff, and and there was one pass that kind of stuck out to me. Um, I don't know if it was seven on sevens or whatever, but Tannehill throws a pass. And it was Greg Jennings was running toward, he was running at kind of an out, out route in the back of the end zone. And it was in the corner. And Tannehill threw it. And Greg Jennings stuck his hands out. And the ball hit him in the hand. He toe tapped. Uh, I don't think he really had a toe tap. It might have you know two quick, quick feet.
1: And it was, it was it would have been a
0: touchdown. I was like, it, it just blew my mind because that wasn't a pass I was used to seeing from Tannehill. And not. It just did the whole situation. Now, if that had happened in the game, I'd have been more surprised that it was completed than not completed. But that's what a guy like that brings is it just looked like it was – I mean, yeah, there's not much defense and there's no pass rush and stuff. But Tannehill stepped up through it, perfect touch, on target. It was beautiful. And I was like, it's that. That's what happens this season. Just, Just look out. And, well, I mean, I want to hit on your your, uh, mistake eraser part. I don't think people realize. I mean, first of all, let's rule out Aaron Rodgers from all discussions. He is in a class on his own when it comes to accuracy, just the entire quarterback position. But you look at everyone else. Just about every one of them have a receiver or a pass catcher of some sort that can make up for errant passes. And I made a, a point this year after the Dolphins games went off, or if, if they were a later game, and I was watching something else, or I, I'd be watching Red Zone, watching how other quarterbacks play. And, and there was several passes that stood out to me, but one was Colin Kaepernick. Uh, he he lined up, he was in the shotgun, I think. kind of rolled out to his right, threw a pass on a crosser to. Uh, Brandon Lloyd. The ball was so far behind him, it should have been incomplete. Brandon Lloyd jumped up, caught it with one hand, corralled it, came down, and it, he didn't get any yards after the catch, but it was a catch. Now, I, you know, some fans would probably complained about accuracy on that pass, but it was still a good play by the receiver. Another play that stands out was there was a play against the Broncos that the Patriots, Uh, Tom Brady throws one behind Gronkowski. Gronkowski reaches back, one-hands it, makes a big play. It's a highlight reel kind of play, but no one's sitting there talking about, wow, Tom Brady, that was a terrible pass. The ball was behind his receiver, but his receiver, his pass catcher, made the play on it. And that's what you need, and that's just something I don't feel like Miami's had. I mean, you can't sit there and say, at least consistently. I mean, uh, you know, you look at – Mike Wallace, in that game against the Vikings, uh, the first, the, it was the second touchdown the Dolphins had. Tannehill, he, he's in the pocket. There's no one to open. He shuts the ball up. The Wallace, it's a tipped ball. Wallace catches it. K-taps, makes a great play. Gets in in the end zone. That's what you want from your big-time receivers. Yet in the Chargers game, Tannehill throws the ball. He tries to one-hand it and drops it. So, I mean, you just it wasn't a consistent thing. And all these, I don't think, these Tannehill detractors realize that a lot of these other quarterbacks they are getting the yards, getting the stats, they have receivers that will bail them out, and they need bailing out at times. It, it just happens. And this Tannehill doesn't have that. And I think if these guys that we have now can start bailing them out on a few of those passes, we're going to see these bigger plays, and people are going to be like, oh, so that's what we've been missing.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. It's, it's nice that they finally brought in these guys. Like I said, they all buy in, and they're all capable of making their quarterback look great, as I believe their quarterback is capable of, capable of making them look good. So we've got just under six minutes, and I, I'm surprised we've actually gotten enough mileage out of this. I mean, this is great because I remember going in so thinking like, oh, man, there's not really anything going on. What is this going to be like? So yeah, I've been uh, out, I've been
0: kind of watching the uh, NBA draft a little bit and
1: uh, yeah yeah I mean said, I I have it, I have it on pause though
0: the uh, well right as the draft right as we got started it was about the time the uh, the Miami Heat were going on the clock um, I think Charlotte was on the clock when the when we got started so I was kind of like yes yeah, this is going to happen right as uh, <laughs> right as Twitter's about to explode so.
1: Yeah, I I love the NBA draft. Uh I I'm going to sound like a complete dork here, but I actually really love the NHL draft which is tomorrow night. Um so it's uh, kind of uh, it's nice that this is uh another year where those two drafts are back to back. They were last year too. Um I this NBA draft's been really interesting for a couple of reasons though. I uh, I can't believe, well I can believe, but it seems weird to me that someone as good as uh, Jalil Okafor Slid all the way to number three when that guy's the number one pick most years. Um, I could, I can't get over how good those Lakers hats looked. I thought those were pretty slick draft hats this year for the uh, the Lakers. I thought those were cool. Uh, I've always really liked the Denver Nuggets. I don't know why. I don't know if that makes me like less of a less of a person, but uh, I was really happy to see them get Moody I thought that was sweet that that dude slid down that far. I asked because I, uh, I think that I think that our our friend Oscar is he a Sacramento Kings fan or does he just enjoy I believe, talking? I believe so. I, I believe so
0: because so. of some tweet he put out uh, the other day because he was uh, he was cussing his younger self for becoming a fan of them. No, I think he said he won a Mitch Richmond jersey and that was why he uh, he became a fan.
1: So. Oh man, yeah, that's that's going back to my era. Mitch Richmond was a really good player. Awesome shot, awesome stroke, as they used to say. So yeah. uh, that was an interesting, uh, an interesting time for that team. Uh, yeah, I, I was the talking to me about that the NBA
0: draft. The problem to me is, is I don't, I don't keep up with college basketball that much now. Um, my my laws my wife, and all of her family, they, they're a big target for me. And ACC's real big around here. I just don't watch that much basketball. and I care about it that much anymore. And so when these prospects come out, I am completely lost as to as, as to what their skill sets are, as to who's good. I mean, I didn't know about the rankings on the board, but for the NFL draft, I mean, I, I, I look at these guys. I study them every day. At least read something about them. nothing else. I mean, I know Okafor has big hands. He played for Duke won a championship. He's a big guy. Plays inside. That's about it. Um, I, I couldn't tell you more about how he plays from else. So for me, it, it's fun to watch. just kind of, you know, watch Twitter and kind of react to everyone else' picks. But you know, I couldn't tell you, you know, who's good. And I, I know I know a, a few good NBA players. Probably most of them are the the big name guys. But you know, people start talking basketball on Twitter, and I just kind of give up because I don't really. I don't know who you're talking about.
1: I find that basketball is probably the easiest sport to talk about. I, I don't know why that is. I just think that because I feel like of all the sports, it's the most straightforward. And um, so I, I've always considered it like my third favorite sport. But like we were talking about last week, you and I had the luxury of, and we got under two minutes here, so I'm trying to make this short. But I think you and I grew up in an era where. Uh I mean basketball was big and in my opinion the best players that ever played the game were out there and it was just I mean it was a spectacle even during the regular season, even on Sunday afternoon with the with NBC, I mean those games were just a spectacle. It was awesome.
0: Yeah, it was like so. a, it was like an all star game every Sunday.
1: Yeah. I mean it was a lot of fun and I mean it was I mean, I growing up in the Chicagoland area and well, throughout the nineties, I mean, you really had no choice but watch the NBA. I mean it was it was everywhere and it was just you want know, to talk about being part of a sports culture. I mean that was something I remember my dad telling me in ninety three after the bulls won after the first three feet, he was like he was like, You're probably never gonna see this ever again from this kind of this level of dominance and then of course they did it again a few months later, which I thought was funny. But all right. We're uh under a minute now, and we've uh, managed to get off track just enough to justify uh, uh, calling it quits for the night. So, uh, for my uh, friend and co-host, Duke, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Uh, and no callers again tonight. So, uh, just kind of indicative of uh, how slow it's been as of late. It'll pick up over the next few weeks, I'm sure. So, uh, I'm your host, Keith, and uh, we'll see you again next Thursday. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Good night. my name is spencer hall my name is jason kirk my name is ryan nanny and when we combine we form the, the shutdown, shutdown forecast Fullcast. i keep telling you we're not voltron the shutdown forecast is technically a college football podcast but it's also a show about lawn care disasters regional grocery stores we love tennessee batman homeowners associations The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.